This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a pick. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is the technical producer, and Ryan White is the live stream producer, and we are streaming live on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Now, tonight, and for the full two hours, we're going to be discussing something, well, truly evil. And it exists in our society. It goes on right under our very noses, something that has been ignored for too long and cannot be tolerated in a civilized society. Human trafficking. Human trafficking is a modern form of slavery. It's an extreme form of labor exploitation where women, men, and children are recruited or obtained and then forced to labor against their will through force, fraud, and coercion. Trafficking victims are often lured by false promises of decent jobs and better lives. The inequalities women face in status and opportunity worldwide make women particularly vulnerable to trafficking. And while some trafficking victims are forced to work in the sex trade, many others are forced to perform other types of labor, such as domestic servitude, factory work, or agricultural work. Tracking victims, trafficking victims, commonly experience physical and psychological abuse, including beatings, sexual abuse, food and sleep deprivation, threats to themselves and their family members and isolation from the outside world. And in case you're wondering, it goes on here in Canada too. We'll get some specific numbers shortly, I hope. The International Labor Organization estimates that at least 12.3 million people are victims of forced labor at any given time, 2.4 million of whom toil in forced labor as a result of trafficking. The U.S. Department of State estimates that 14,500 to 17,500 people are trafficked into the United States each year. However, these numbers don't include the many individuals trafficked within U.S. borders. I mentioned Canada. We've seen instances of trafficking for sexual exploitation and labor exploitation. We've seen both Canadian victims and foreign national victims. Shay Invidiata is an award-winning human rights activist, philanthropist, entrepreneur, 
speaker, and wellness advocate. As a sales representative and director of operations of the Invitiata team, Shea has helped to develop the Invitiata brand into some of the most elite luxury markets and continues to grow the company with her father. Strongly believing in justice and giving back, Shea founded the not-for-profit organization Free Them, one of the nation's leading voices in the anti-human trafficking movement. She's known for her unwavering determination, leadership, and courageous spirit. She never hesitates to hold powerful people's feet to the regulatory fire, especially if it means protecting and improving the lives of others. Shea Invidiata, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Very well. Thank you. And I know it's late for you, so I appreciate you hanging in there for uh, for two hours. But uh, obviously, this is um, essential that we talk about it. It uh, is. is. Is there anything before we get rolling here and, and sort of dive uh, deep into this topic, anything that you'd like to add to, the, to my introduction in terms of human trafficking, just to sort of help set the table so people understand the scope and magnitude of this problem? Um, yeah, sure. You know, um, I think I always like explaining it more from a uh, macro level and bringing it into a micro level. Um, and when you look at globally today, there's over 40 million people that are in global slavery. And, you know, if you don't have $40 million sitting in your bank account, that number for so many of us is hard to contextualize what that actually means. And the current population of Canada, just to put it into perspective, is about 37 million people. Uh, you know, people are, and, you know, if you have people that are listening in, even from the U.S., um, I'll say take the state of California, for instance, you know, over 30 million people. And imagine for a moment that our entire nation of Canada is in some form of slavery. Every single person, you know, all the way from the East Coast, all the way to the West Coast, all of the territories. And 80% are women and children. And in Canada, the two most prevalent forms of human trafficking are forced labor and sexual exploitation. And, you know, you mentioned some other forms um, of human trafficking. And, uh, of course, you know, that that exists. But when we look at in Canada, those are two most prevalent forms. Um, most people think that you know, this is an issue that happens outside of our borders or if they're victims in Canada that they, you know, quote unquote, must have been brought in from places like Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, across the continent of Africa. And although that does happen in our country, over 87% of victims that are rescued in Canada are Canadian. And so this is a problem that we have right here at home. Um, globally, it's a $150 billion industry. And again, that number is very hard to contextualize. But today, that the, this illegal enterprise that we're going to be diving in and talking about is greater than the profits of Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon combined. And so you're talking about an illegal industry that has huge power, has huge force, um, and in my opinion, it's, it is the greatest evil that 
exists on our planet today. Um, there's many other stats that I could probably give, but I'll, I'll share them probably throughout our conversation. But I think for people, you know, it, it helps to really understand the, the scale of, of what is happening um, in our world. And like you mentioned, that so many people don't realize that it's actually happening and it's happening right here at home. The numbers are absolutely staggering. I think it ranks third after the illicit drug trade and uh, the illegal arms trade, if I'm not mistaken. Is that is that accurate? It is. It's the fastest growing crime on our planet today. And um, as you mentioned, it is the largest illegal enterprise next to arms and drugs. And it's the fastest growing because People who are involved in illegal trade have realized that it's actually more lucrative to be able to sell a body than it is arms and drugs. It's also a lot easier. It's, it's harder to hide drugs. It's harder to hide arms um, e- when they're illegal than it is a human being. As long as you can control that human... Um, and control their body, body language. You control what they say, what they don't say. Um, you know, arguably a human is, is a lot easier to, um, quote unquote, make invisible. And the body can be reused over and over and over again. And the average time a body gets rented out is about 15 to 20 times a day. And so, if I'm a, if I'm trafficking drugs or I'm trafficking arms, and I want to sell you narcotics, you will have to come back to me every single time you want more of that product, um, and I'm going to have to produce more of that product in other in order to fill the demand. Whereas the body, you can just keep renting it out and and getting more use out of it, and so. In Canada, for example, one one girl can make a trafficker about two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars a year, um, and so it's highly, highly lucrative. And you start doing the math times ten girls, you know, times twenty girls, you're you're in a very, very cash lucrative um, illegal industry. Um, Help, so help me understand, it. Shay. Help me understand uh, how it how it happens. I, I don't know if there's a typical sort of scenario, but how does let's say a young girl in Canada, let's say she's living in North Bay, how does she fall victim? What happens to her? Walk me through that. Well, there. I mean, there's many different scenarios that that can take place. A very common situation can be um you know there's different there's different um i'm going to say profiles if you will of victims and the first thing to just kind of lay the foundation i always say to people that wherever you have poverty and vulnerability you're susceptible to human trafficking you're susceptible to become a victim and so anytime you look at a situation and you mention north bay where there could be poverty. You're talking about small town and vulnerability could be many things, could be lack of education, could be lack of food, could be lack of shelter, could be broken family, could be abuse in the family. Um, anything that's going to contribute to a vulnerability 
And when you're coming from even maybe a, a better home, uh, those can be insecurities um, of a girl, a, of a young girl. So it doesn't actually necessarily mean to be a vulnerability in terms of going hungry. Um, and so a place like North Bay, you, you're lured with oftentimes with a boy who, or a young man who's going to be between the ages, usually between 18 to 22. And the important thing for people to know as well is that the average age of entry into forced prostitution in Canada and the United States is 13 years old. And so that means that there are too many and so many that are the ages 9, 10, 11, 12 in order to get that number to be as low as it is um, to keep that average down to 13. And so, you know, going back again to your scenario in North Bay, girl could be 12 years old, 13 years old, 14, 15, and is going to be approached by a male that's between the ages of 18 to even into their 30s. Oftentimes comes on as a boyfriend figure and, and we call it the wooing factor. And that's where the girl is groomed. And sometimes there's an, an, an offer for a job in, in the city to make money and that, you know, this person will take care of them and provide transportation and make sure they're looked after. Um, and we see this in, in places like North Bay up in even the reserves. Um, you know, in Canada, the Aboriginal Indigenous communities are some of the most affected um, by human trafficking. And so there's oftentimes this, this like I said, I, this promise that, you know, you can make money in, in the city and there's job opportunities and, um, you know, come with me and I'll, I'll give you a job. I'll give you work. Um, and that work is not necessarily realized what it's going to be or how bad it will be, um, and fully what they're going to need to be doing. The other is the boyfriend um, approaching them. And, you know, when you're, when you, when you meet somebody and you go on, maybe like, you know, call it a first date or you're getting to know them, what do you do? You ask them, you know, where are they from? You know, do you have siblings? What do you like to do? You know, what school do you go to? And freely, most of us give up that information. And so the beginning of that relationship is, is not under duress. There is no fear. And at the same time that that male is telling this female how beautiful she is, how special she is, you know, pours on all of the attention, makes her feel so special, feeling loved, really you know, taking her for coffees, um, you know, buying her clothing. And at some point, that male who this girl believes is her boyfriend is going to ask her to do the unthinkable and will usually put on some form of guilt that he's just spent all of this money on her. And this is what he she needs to do for him to help him out to make some money. It won't last long. It might just be one time or that she needs to pay him back for everything that he's spent on her. And that switch will get turned. And this quote unquote loving boyfriend figure that this victim believes is her boyfriend is going to form into her pimp. 
an informant or her trafficker. And, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, that, that grooming process, that luring and, and coerce process, you're offering up information. And so, you know, one of the biggest questions that we always get asked is, you know, well, why doesn't the girl just leave? You know, why doesn't she just walk away? And they get them into such vulnerable positions um, where they have so much information on these girls. And, you know, sometimes there's families that are being threatened that if you don't do this, then we know where your brother lives. We know where your younger sister lives. We're going to tell your parents and they've filmed them in very compromising, embarrassing, um, you know, either positions or just with groups. And they threaten them with exposing them for what they're doing. And so there's a lot of fear that is used to control these girls, um, you know, and that later on, oftentimes very harsh drugs and alcohol is also introduced as a dependency um, to have to stay with these traffickers um, and they form these drug addictions as well. Shay Invidiata is the founder of the not-for-profit organization Free Them and the website is freethem.ca. When these children are are, uh, taken, are they not reported as missing, assuming that they have, have parents? Uh, yes, they, you know, some of them are, um, some of them are not. And it, again, it's complicated because there are, believe it or not, there are many girls, too many girls that are still living at home and are being pimped out at the same time. So a girl can be being um, exploited and trafficked and still coming home uh, to the, the place that she calls home to put, you know, a roof over her head. She might have parents in the house and you could have parents that are working, you know, three jobs to make ends meet. You could have parents that really don't pay any attention. If you come from a bad family, there could be addiction in the home as well. And they're not paying attention to really their children at all. Um, you know, you could have two parents that are just, you know, full-time corporate, super, super busy and not realizing that, their child is being exploited. So there, there are many of those type of scenarios. The others, um, absolutely. There are children when they go missing, uh, they are reported in Canada. There's over 50,000 children that go missing every single year. Um, in the United States, that number is 800,000. And I am 100% convinced that if they have not found the body, that that child is alive um, and is being exploited across the country. Um, I, I'm, I'm very convinced of that. I've been doing this work now for over 17 years. And um, it, it's just, it's crazy when you, when you start, you know, connecting certain dots um, and, and what we see. So absolutely, yes, some of them do get reported, uh, but there are too many that don't get reported um, as well. I have read in the United States anyway, uh, and I don't know what the situation is in Canada, but foster children can mm-hmm. often be uh, extreme mm-hmm. or at, at extreme risk. Why, why foster children? Well, again, you know, there's, there's a vulnerability there. Um, you know, they're already um, lacking in so many ways, right? 
imagine being a foster child for whatever reason, either your parents have died, there's sexual abuse, there's, um, you know, abuse in general in the home, you've been removed from the place that was supposed to give you safe refuge. Um, and so already, if you're in the system, you have a predisposition that you are vulnerable. And those vulnerabilities, um, traffickers will prey upon. Um, there are many children in the foster care system that foster care I refuse to call them parents because that's not what they they are to these to some of these children um, that actually pimp out the foster care children. Uh, there is a big issue with um, with that in the United States. It does happen here in Canada as well. Um, we and the systems need to be doing better of vetting who who they are placing these children in short term and sometimes longer term foster care um, we have about 2 minutes for the to to the bottom of the uh, or to the break uh, Shay but let me ask you this and if need be we'll we'll pick up on it after the break sure. and that is is the recruiting is the pimping going on in our schools oh 100% <laughs> 100% yes it is and i i, I mean i we can that's a, it's a longer conversation, but um, human trafficking is happening in in all kinds of schools across Canada. Um, you know, I speak to all different demographics. Um, spoken the youngest kids I've ever spoken to are grade fives, all the way up to university students. And every single time, with the exceptions of the grade fives, I apologize, with the exceptions of the grade fives that I've spoken to, but junior high, seven, eight, you know, I've spoken to every grade in high school. Every time I teach on human trafficking and what it is, I have at least one student come up to me afterwards to say, I didn't know what that was called, but this is happening to a friend of mine right now. And I've spoken at Christian schools. I've spoken at all boys schools, at all boys, you know, um, you know, more affluent schools. I've spoken at all different, different type of communities and human trafficking is not, um, you know, it, it doesn't know any boundaries. So just all right, we'll, we'll pick to- up on that when we come back. We'll take a quick time sure. out. Shay Invidiata from Free Them, the website freedom.ca. More on human trafficking. Stay with us. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Shay Invidiata stays with us from Free Them, the website freethem.ca. We're talking about human trafficking, a modern form of slavery that's happening right under our noses. In fact, although this may be very, very hard to believe, to wrap our heads around, it's happening in our schools. And... So you said that you have you have talked to middle middle uh, school children and they know of someone you've been told that has been uh, recruited or that's not even the right word. That's such a, a a clean, sanitized word recruited. They have been coerced, obviously, is the word uh, into uh, prostitution. How does this happen in the school? So, I mean, is are there fellow students that are are pimping? Are there teachers? God forfend. Are there support staff? Who is responsible for for coercing these children? 
Um, yeah, you know, it's, um, it oftentimes will happen, um, again, you know, that your average, your average male that's going to be preying upon these victims is between 18 to in their thirties. So when you look at the high school demographic or junior highs, um, oftentimes the male that is, um, luring the girls or coercing is coming from outside of those school systems. Um, what is common within the school is having a girlfriend who convinces a girl to say, hey, I have a job opportunity, I've got some way that you could make some money if you're interested. And that's become a more common um tactic that's happened that we see more and more and it's not that the girl um is is per se a pimp like uh, like what we would call like a madam like a which is a female pimp um herself oftentimes it is that girl is already being exploited herself and part of her um job that she's being forced to do is to recruit um, and bring other girls. And in that sense of the word recruit, you know, I, you, you, um, you know, chose to use a better choice of words in this scenario, she is being forced to actually bring in other girls, um, to her pimp, to her trafficker. And oftentimes the, the trade-off for the girl is that she won't be abused as much, um, if she can, Again, they off her own debt if she can replace, um, you know, somebody else to be coming in. And so you will see that very commonly the girl will recruit within the school. And, um, and so that's more common happening in the school. Otherwise, when it's the male that is approaching that female again, mainly from a boyfriend figure, um, he's outside of that, of that high school, uh, given the ages. Um, oftentimes between, you know, 18 to the 30 kind of range. And I, I can only imagine uh, that since the advent of the Internet, that this has only exacerbated this problem. How much of the recruiting is now done online? Uh, you know, it, it, the, uh, the explosion, I would say, you know, of the Internet um, has been twofold. We have seen obviously a huge growth. Um, yet at the same time too, being that it's online, uh, law enforcement over the years has gotten a lot better on how to track down and actually be able to do sting operations and rescue these girls because it's online. Um, and a lot of the engagements start online. And so you will have COVID operations that take place. Um, you know, when you go to certain websites like backpage.com, um, Craigslist, you will see many of these girls, um, that are, they're really sites that solicit for sex. Um, you know, and I prefer to call it what it is. So it's, you know, these men predominantly that are paying to rape or paying to molest, uh, these children, the minors, um, in COVID, we've seen an increase uh, big time due to, you know, people being at home, online, um, 
you know, the, the Pornhub at the beginning of COVID had offered their members um, free for 30 days. Um, and Pornhub is one of the biggest facilitators um, of online um, exploitation. So, you know, during this time of COVID specifically, there's been, um, there has been an increase online, um, but also in desperation as well, where so many people are, you know, worried about how they're going to provide food on the table. And um, for many children, as we know, going to school was their place of, of safety, uh, was their place of res- refuge because the home was not safe. And so when you have now more agitated um, parents with their kids in the home, if they're already abusing them, stressing out about also finances and food, the child becomes um, an easy way for them to be able to make money by exploiting them. So we've seen all kinds of um, stuff taking place over this time you know, girls that can't pay their rent and their landlords are saying, well, if you sleep with me and you have sex with me, then you can stay in your place. Otherwise, if not, then you need to leave. Um, you know, all kinds of exploitation that is that is taking place right now. You mentioned Backpage. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that is a more uh, sophisticated, organized type of organization and it's it's gone but i'm sure uh, you know the uh, the ceo and others were pled guilty to uh, online sex trafficking but i'm sure when backpage went down a uh, hundred more came up in its in its place um i guess what's troubling to me is so for example in the united states human trafficking wasn't even illegal since uh, b- before two, the year 2000 uh, how is that possible? How how could we not have had laws in place prior to 2000 that would make this illegal? And and what is the situation in Canada? When did it when did it go on the books? Human trafficking. So it, it, that's it's a tricky question for me to answer because obviously we've had laws for a long time that says that slavery um, is illegal, and the difference here is that we've introduced a new word calling it human trafficking and because of that new legislation um, and how we and and looking at the situation how we've defined this exploitation now needs a new legislative structure Um, and so for the longest time um, you know we have it really, really wasn't until about 2010 in Canada specifically that we really started to introduce at a federal level um, legislation that would not only prosecute traffickers, but would actually start to um, strengthen our laws on this, on this issue of human trafficking. Um, that was the National you know, Action Plan. Yeah, that, that also came after the fact. Um, you know, we the first bill that was introduced was um, Bill 268, which was um, a mandatory minimum sentence for traffickers caught trafficking minors. 
and Freedom, we were a stakeholder to that bill. And at the time, that was um, former MP Joy Smith, um, who put forward that bill. And shortly thereafter, she put together a, a document. At the time, it was called Connecting the Dots. And it was a national strategy on fighting human trafficking in Canada, because still at that time, you know, this is 2010, 2011, Canada still didn't have a national strategy in place yet. When you go to third world countries like Thailand, whether they're enforcing it or not is a different conversation, but they still had legislation there. Um, And it blew my mind that in Canada, a first world nation where we pride ourselves so much on on being free, on freedom, that we did not have this type of legislation in place. Um, and so, of course, you know, we, we do now, um, but it, it's been a journey in Canada, an upward hill battle. And we've been very much behind on where I believe Canada should be, and even today. Yes, I, I know. I remember in the... Oh, I guess it was around 2010 uh, that Canada was admonished by the U.S. State Department for, for lagging behind. And here we think that we are so advanced and sophisticated and civilized in this country, and yet we are or were uh, lagging behind, um, you know, let's say the G20, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. You know ma- the major Western industrialized uh, industrialized powers. Uh, we're coming up on another break, Shay. When we come back, we'll continue to delve into this. I, I want to talk to you also about the. Uh, I remember producing talk radio in the '90s, and uh, there were we would have people coming on uh, advocating for legalization of prostitution, and they didn't like them being referred to as uh, prostitutes. They wanted to. To call them sex workers, and I was never comfortable with that, and I refused to use that because to mm-hmm. me that was an attempt to normalize the industry. And now we're seeing who is in fact being coerced into working as prostitutes. So I want to get your take on that as well, and 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 uh, what we can do regarding uh, legislation to uh, uh, to um, to clamp down on this 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 scourge, human trafficking. More of my conversation. With Shay Invidiata from Free Them, freethem.ca, the website, back with more in a moment. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. Uh, Shay, before the break, I was mentioning my experience uh, producing talk radio in the in the 90s. And people would at that time, there was this raging debate about, uh, you know, we need a red light district in Toronto and, and we need to legalize prostitution and and we have to stop referring to them as prostitutes. They're sex workers. And I was never comfortable with that uh, because I felt that that was just a, an attempt to normalize what is what should not be a normal situation. Uh, let me get your take on that. The, the the term sex workers. How do you feel about that? Well, I think you know it. It really comes down to what what you define as as work, and you know, there's two sides of the coin. That it's the oldest profession. Other people will say it's the oldest oppression, uh, which is where my opinion lies. Um, I believe that. When you know your own value and worth and you've been raised um, truly knowing that, you know, you, who you are and how valuable you are as a human being, 
the thought of um, selling your body to make money um, is just not a thought that you would subject yourself to. And I personally don't know any survivor who has come out of, quote unquote, the sex trade or from being um, exploited through human trafficking who was not sexually abused before they entered the trade. And the most important question for me and always is, is when, at what point, how old were you when you pulled what sex workers will call their first trick? And a trick is any type of sexual service that is being done to what they would call a client, somebody who's paying for sex or paying for a sexual service. And we started out our call earlier tonight and I mentioned that the average age of entry into forced prostitution in Canada is 13 years old. And I will argue to my death that that is never a choice. And that is the, the makeup of who is in the trade. And so just because a girl might appear to be the age of consent or older, or she actually might be the age of consent or older, does not mean that she was of the age of consent when to use sex workers the way they would phrase it, pulled their first trick. For me, it's, you know, how old were you when you were first exploited? And it's part of, part of the biggest misconception I believe in the sex trade is that we, when we hear the word prostitute, we equate that word so much to choice and it's a widely misrepresented term. And the more accurate term to be using is prostituted. And that removes choice from the situation. It removes choice from the circumstance. And so just because a girl is 19, 20, the most important question, like I said, is when, when did she first enter? And, you know, at 13, at 14, 15 years old, I will argue to my death um, that that's, that's never a choice. And you or some of your listeners might remember um, years ago, back in about 2013, um, there was the big case between Bedford and it was first the province of Ontario. Yes, that's and, what I was referring to. She was a, yeah, a regular down, guest on a yeah. talk radio show that I produced, yes. Yeah, so, you know, she struck down the prostitution laws and it went to the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, and myself, along with um, a handful of other very powerful women, uh, strong women who are survivors um, of human trafficking. We were at Osgood Hall that day that they were in court and that decision was made to make a national press statement. And, um, you know, we were really upset and we're saying that day to the media that what was not being spoken about in Bedford's case was that she's testifying in court as a 50-something-year-old woman. I think she was 54 maybe at the time. Don't quote me on that, but she was, you know, she was older at the time. And what was not being told 
is that she was just in her teens. She was about 13 years old when she was recruited by somebody more than double her age who was abusing her, giving her drugs, and forcing her to uh, basically be raped by men for money, handing over her profits to what she would call her boyfriend. That's not a boyfriend. And so we need to get very clear on our language. We need to get very clear on what the circumstance is and what's not. And Valerie Scott was another person um, that, you know, was um, alongside of Bedford. And she was 16 herself. And now, you know, she was in her, you know, late 40s or 50s wanting uh, to normalize um, and legalize prostitution. And, you know, that's a very different position when you're in your 40s and you've also been at this point doing this for so long. And there's the most important question is when did those two women first enter? When were when were they first, uh, you know, when did they were forced to put? their first trick and it definitely was not over the age of consent and um you know we had an opportunity in that year um the courts gave us one year to rewrite the prostitution laws and uh freedom was a or well still is a uh, federal stakeholder to uh, bill c310 which was put forward by um at the time the attorney general of canada um the minister of justice peter mckay and we put into legislation, it's still effective today, that looked at Canada and we said, if we recognize that the majority of victims of the girls that make up who's in this illegal sex trade, majority of them are not there by choice. Majority of them are, you know, um, being trafficked and they're being exploited and sold and so why are we criminalizing them shay i've got to jump in here because we this is a short segment we have to uh, take a quick time out we'll come back and we'll talk about the current law regarding uh, prostitution where it is now illegal to purchase or advertise sexual services it's illegal to live off of the avails of of uh, prostitution uh it is legal to sell sexual services although in some cases it's illegal to solicit in public areas so we'll talk more about that we'll also maybe talk about the swedish model whether we should be emulating that back with more of my conversation with shay invidiata as we continue to discuss human trafficking modern day slavery don't go away take a look around what do you really see this is where you can tell all about it the conspiracy show with richard sarrett on zoomer radio Shay, before the break, I was, um, as I understand it anyway, sort of reciting the current legislation, which came around, I I think, in 2014 regarding um, prostitution. That is, it's illegal to to purchase or advertise it. It's it's illegal to live off the avails of of prostitution. So pimping is illegal. Uh, It's illegal to advertise it, as I said, but it's, it's, it's illegal to sell. But you can't solicit in in public areas. Is that is that? Do I have that right? It, it's not illegal to sell sex. It's illegal to purchase it. Right. I, I thought it. Yeah. It's legal yeah. to sell, but it's yeah. illegal to solicit in public areas. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Well, 
you're you can in in public areas, but there are restrictions like obviously like around like schools or within children, um, you know, those type of um, precautions and protections are in place, Um, you know, but and, and people ask, you know, like, why, why did you why did this law, which for some people, they don't think it makes sense because you're able to sell the service it's illegal, but the service itself to purchase is illegal. Um, you know, and as we were starting to talk about, we looked at who was selling and why they're selling. And at the time in Canada, the only way for a police officer to remove a girl um, was to, and be able to detain her was by laying charges and to be, to arrest her. And of course, when you get those charges also laid, you know, you get a criminal record. And once you have a criminal record, that is a whole other horrible process for um, a victim, especially when they, you know, are rescued and are on their journey of healing that they now have a criminal record. Um, and so we looked at that to say we need to remove that and put the police in a position of empowerment to be able to actually go into a situation, remove a girl who's willing to go and who wants help um, and have the legal authority to be able to do that. And then, of course, at the same time, not um, criminalizing these girls who are being forced to be there and who are being exploited. And what we need to be doing is going after the demand, um, which is exactly what Bill C-310 um, aimed to do. And so the Johns, which are just, um, you know, somebody who's purchasing sex, um, it is illegal to do that in Canada. And what is the penalty currently under Canadian law for uh, a John? Um, it, it, it really depends, um, on, on the situation. So it, that's the more complicated thing for me to try to answer. Um, you know, simply it, it goes down into silos. It goes down into the province, um, even down into the municipalities as to what they are allowed to do. There are certain, um, there are certain regions where, they will have to go to John school and they can have their sentence reduced. Um, there's, you know, um, it, it's complicated. I, honestly, in, in your mind, sorry. are the penalties sufficient? In your mind, are the yeah. penalties sufficient? Correction. Correct. Yeah. No, but I'm asking in your mind, are the, are the penalties sufficient in that area? Oh, sorry. My apologies. Um, no, I, I don't think not just this one. I think in general, I still think that, when you look at what happens to a victim, regardless of even length of time, um, the penalties that we have in our country and how our system is set up where there's so many different credits and a sentence can be, you know, eight years um, and some, and then it can be, end up being reduced to only a couple of years. And then all of a sudden that person who's victimized you is, is, quote unquote free and is going to be out. Um, and yet that victim then lives in fear um, for not only their, their trafficker coming after them, uh, but then the trauma that they also live with for the rest of their life. 
Um, so no, I don't, I, across the board, I don't think that our penalties, um, are severe enough to, right. You were, you were talking about the trafficker, but what about for the John that, that, um, purchases the services? Yeah, it's both the same. I think that if you had harsher sentences, um, you know, it would really demotivate somebody from being able to go out and, and purchase, um, you know, a person it would, we, we don't, we don't have a culture that is structured, um, as such. And we're seeing this, this isn't even at like the street level, but we're seeing now more than ever in our world, um, right down from the street levels to gangs, to more organized crime, to different elite groups, um, you know, politicians for many, many years, but more the, the depth of people in very high places that are, um, you know, are purchasing and w- what happens to them when they get caught? Not a lot. And that's not okay. And the, the system is not set up to um, discourage that and also hold those people accountable. And well, we'll, we'll definitely get into the Epstein case uh, uh, in, in the second hour. Um, so we just have a few minutes here before the top of the hour. We'll, yep. Again, I'll start, I'll start this conversation, and if need be, we'll continue after the top of the hour. But uh, So when a John is arrested, mm-hmm. and the, do they then – what are the police instructed to do? Do they take the, uh, the woman into temporary custody to try and counsel or to, you know, to provide some sort of a safe haven? Do they then try to identify – who the the pimp is and go after that individual? Uh, I, I, yes to both. Um, they will, after co- coming into the station or with the police officer, if there's, if there's not already a social worker on site or what we would call like a frontline worker that's equipped to deal specifically with human trafficking victims, um, they will be called to the scene or they'll be called down to the station to, um, meet the girl or the officer will take her directly to a safe house. Um, so it just, it just depends on the scenario. And, and how, how difficult is it often to, to get the, 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 the woman, the victim in this situation to, uh, to testify or to um, give up her, her pimp? How often do they do that or are they willing to do that? Yeah. So, you know, again, the system needs a lot of improvement. You know, um, there's there's many factors as to why a girl would. It's not that she wouldn't be willing. There's really a lot more to do with being afraid, Um, afraid for your own life that just because your pimp might be actually put put behind bars. um, You know, as I mentioned, there's the fear that what happens when he gets out. But also, too, just because he's behind bars doesn't mean that he doesn't have other people that can come and find her. And so, you know, there's extreme fear that if she talks, um, you know, not just herself, but if she does have family and loved ones that are still around and alive that her trafficker knows of, that serious harm might come to those people. Um, You know, there's also the brainwashing that takes place from a female who at a young age, you know, at the beginning, as you know, we talked about at the very beginning of tonight that 
the introduction to your relationship with the trafficker is not one of a trafficker. It's a, it's a boyfriend luring grooming process that happens. And so the brainwashing that happens is that, you know, you are still identifying with this pimp. Oftentimes the victims are identifying these men or the boys as their, their boyfriends. And, um, the, the real, it's, and it's a real thing, the trauma bond that forms. And sometimes these girls will not want to testify. Um, and it's not until years later that um, when they've gone through a lot of trauma counseling and a healing journey that they'll look back and realize that that person that they called their boyfriend was truly, in fact, um, exploiting them and pimping them out that they were, you know, trafficking them. And All right, so- we're going to take a, a take a time out here. We'll uh, come back. Shay Invidiata stays with us for the second hour as well as we continue to discuss human trafficking, modern day slavery. The website is freethem.ca. We'll find out more about the organization and other forms of human trafficking as well. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. Shay Invidiata is the founder of the nonprofit organization Free Them, and we're dedicating the entire program tonight to human trafficking, modern day slavery. Now, before we get back to Shay, a quick programming note coming up in two weeks on the program. Two weeks. Another vitally important issue the robot and AI revolution. Dennis Combites is a robotics educator. He'll be here to talk about the almost unimaginable disruption that robotics and artificial intelligence is going to bring to the world economy and the workforce. Just here in North America, tens of millions of workers, tens of millions of workers will be displaced within the decade. And we are, as you'll discover, woefully unprepared. So if your children are not taking some kind of coding or robotics course, you'll want to listen in. And that's in two weeks. Uh, I'm leaving next week open because I'm, uh, I'm working right now uh, to get virologist Dr. Judy Mikovits on the program next week. That's, um, well, I'm working on it. That's TBA. But uh, keep checking my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca for programming information. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. Uh, that's a, another way to keep on top of what's happening on this radio program and also my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. Uh, Shay, let's take a few moments and talk about your organization, Free Them. So what specifically do you do uh, in this field of um, human trafficking? Uh, so Free Them, as you've mentioned, we're a non-profit, nonprofit organization. Uh, we are 100% volunteer run, and uh, we focus on preventative measures to fight human trafficking. And so... For us, we focus on all things around legislative advocacy work, community events, uh, different campaigns online um, or in person, 
different speaking engagements. Uh, you know, as mentioned earlier, you know, I've spoken in many of the high schools, university groups, faith groups, corporate groups. And so, um, you know, we really are on that, that focusing of the awareness component um, and the education side, which truly is, you know, the, the prevention piece. And then we partner with uh, different organizations that are uh, taking in victims for aftercare services once victims are rescue. And we help to um, uh, fund um, a handful of those operations across Canada. So in terms of Canada's national action plan to combat human trafficking, if you had a, a wish list and you had the ear, and I'm sure you do, uh, of the, the prime minister or the, the um, minister of justice, what would, what would your wish list be in order to vastly improve the current strategy to combat human trafficking in Canada? Well, <laughs> um, to be very blunt, um, the Trudeau government has not been supportive on the issue of human trafficking. So I would first say to him that he should not try to dismantle the legislation that Freedom, many other agencies and MPs have put in place over the past 10 years in our country and I would ask the Prime Minister to um, consider his children um, in this issue and to not want to legalize uh, prostitution. So, um, you know, he has a very different position than uh, Freedom does and the work that we do. And as a result of that as well, the national strategy is being um, I'll call it being restructured at this point. Um, and we do not know how that, that, what that outcome is going to be yet. Um, so I would be saying to all representatives, because this is not a liberal, conservative, NDP issue. This is a human issue. And if you are a member of the legislative, you know, um, of, of the House of Commons, it is your responsibility to uphold freedom, to uphold justice, to uphold human rights. And this is not a, a party issue, as I said. This is a human issue. And so um, I would want to see a effective national strategy that is actually being implemented um, that gets strengthened year over year. Um, by having a lot more roundtables, um, you know, prior to the Trudeau government uh, coming in, we used to have a, a consistent amount of federal roundtable discussions that would happen and take place across the country. And um, they have happened, but they're not as frequent. And uh, like I mentioned, the, the national strategy right now to put it in like civilian terms is basically has been put on hold um, and is being restructured. And we do not know what that outcome is going to look like. And again, in a country like Canada, uh, that should just never be the case. Um, you know, one of the other things that we've been working on for a good eight years 
and is more at the provincial level is through the Minister of Education and that the issue of human trafficking, it's paramount that it should be taught in schools. You know, we've we've spent enough time um, already this evening discussing how human trafficking is happening in the schools. And the reality is, is that it's not being it's not being taught through curriculum and it needs to be. Um, you know, regardless of what your position was with Kathleen um, Wynne, who is the premier, former premier for the province of Ontario, um, she restructured the sexual um, ed curriculum and introducing things like gender choice in grade one. And when those type of conversations start happening at grade one, I'm, I'm like the human trafficking issue needs to be there as well. Um, regardless of what your opinion is, but we can't uh, admit such a serious topic um, that is happening to our young children in Canada um, and freedom can't be everywhere. There's other organizations that do great work in Canada that are going into schools. They can't be everywhere. The teachers who see their kids day in and day out need to know the signs. No different than they're, they are trained to detect ch- child abuse. And they have a duty by law to report if they suspect that there is a child that is being abused in their classroom. And teachers also need to know those signs of a victim of human trafficking. And I say all the time, if your child has access to a phone or a tablet, your child could at any point be lured and and start getting groomed to become a victim of human trafficking. It's happening through all of the apps on Tinder, on Snapchat, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram. And so it's, again, it goes for circle that children need to be educated on this. And right. I mean, I, I don't think this needs to be part of the sex ed course. This is this is not about sex. This correct. is about personal security. A hundred percent. So. Yeah, it has nothing to do with with sex, and it, it yep. you know the idea as a quick aside of teaching, you know, children about gender choices in grade one to me is absolutely uh, appalling. However, um, let me ask you about other forms of human trafficking, still within the realm of uh, you know co- coercion and and forcing young girls uh, to do horrible things, and it, it's not just prostitution, right? There are there are uh, um, dancers in strip clubs that have also been coerced into doing that. To, to what extent is that also something you're dealing with? Well, I, that still falls under the same category. Um, you know, I, I don't know any victim who was just dancing and being forced to dance. Um, it's, it's kind of like a gateway kind of similar to how, you know, marijuana can be considered a gateway drug to other things. Um, Interesting. Stripping is is the same thing. Um, You know, so you might start there, but that's definitely not the only thing you're going to be doing. There's uh, so much pay to rate that happens in strip clubs. Um, And so it falls underneath the same banner. Now, I know when the the National Action Plan was being put together that the, um, I'm going to use this term loosely, the adult entertainment industry uh, 
mm-hmm. raised a hue and a cry because one of the one of the things that that uh, the National Action Plan tried to do, and and I think this was passed into law. You'll correct me. Was that they wanted to prevent foreign workers from coming in and working in strip clubs, uh, and the the industry again in quotes. Uh, complained because they said that that would create a labor shortage. What is the status there, and and uh, what are your thoughts on on the restriction of foreign workers in strip clubs? Um, you know, again, so Toronto specifically, um, we have a what's called like a non-rezone, which means. However many strip clubs there are now, which I've not looked it up as of late, but a few years back, there was only about 10 or 13 of them. And that means that that is the most that we will ever be able to have because we have a non-rezone. So if a strip club gets burnt down, if the owners decide to shut it down or go bankrupt or for whatever reason it closes, it will never be able to reopen again. And so the argument of having this this shortage really didn't doesn't make sense when you look at the scale of um, those establishments specifically. Um, And again, we look at, you know, people who are coming in who don't know the rights that maybe somebody like yourself or, or me would know in growing up in a first world country and talking about fair wages and the amount of hours that we are by law, you know, being able to protect ourselves of how much we can work in a day. Um, when you start following those who is getting these visas and where they end up, there's exploitation at the end of so many of them. And so, um, you know, that was a real concern. Um, but then, you know, like I said, when you're looking at who who is saying that there's going to be this great shortage, um, it's, it's those establishments weren't able to grow and multiply, if you will. Um, so the argument just really didn't hold up for it, for me, in my opinion. No, I, I, uh, and I hope I wasn't making it sound like I was uh, trying to justify that argument. I guess what I was trying to find out uh, in, in my awkward roundabout way was, so are, the, are they hiring um, young women who are, who are being coerced? And if, if that can be demonstrated, why are these clubs not being shut down? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, if, I, again, like the they'll say that they came in on, you know, those visas and the amount of investigation that would need to take place. The police are majorly underfunded. Um, you know, you would you would have to have these regular, I guess, like checkups, you know, to be able to find out um, if they are actually only dancing um, and not being exploited. Um, but it's just inevitable, you know, you, you sign up for, for dancing and you're coming in on a visa like that. It just, it doesn't take long. It, it doesn't remain that way. Uh, is freedom also involved, involved in the, the type of human trafficking that involves other industries like agriculture or domestic, let's call it domestic servitude. Um, we're so indirectly, yes. 
Um, you know, we were a part of um, the Opapa case that happened that was still the largest human trafficking case to go before a Canadian um, court. Uh, and that was uh, predominantly all all men for forced labor out in um, the Hamilton Stony Creek kind of Niagara region. Um, but we specifically with what we deal with and the victims um, that free them helps to fund um, like the aftercare process for is is sexual exploitation. All right. Um, yeah. So. I guess where I want to go next is we've been talking about, you know, individual uh, individuals who coerce and exploit. We did touch on Backspace, which or um, uh, Backpage, which is a little more sophisticated, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to what extent is this problem perhaps far more organized and orchestrated uh, and aided and abetted in the highest levels of power than, than we might be aware of. Uh, you know, rather than focusing on the individual pimps, of course, who are just complete human excrement. But I get the sense that this is a, a, a much more organized uh, problem and that, and that they may be aided and abetted from people in very high places. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Epstein is... Um Definitely not the first. He's absolutely not the last. You know, you look at uh, Weinstein, you know, before the Epstein case really um, became more mainstream, if you will, um, as it did. Um, You look at Peter Nygaard, who is really going to be one of the next, I would say, uh, Weinsteins or Epsteins to um, be exposed. so when you look at those those three people alone who have extreme wealth and the people um, who they are connected to and the friends that they are connected to, um, you know, you start to, you should start to question. Everybody knew what Epstein was doing. There's no, there's not, there's no, um, we didn't know you and me didn't know to the extent of it, but you have senators that have come on national television to state that they all knew what he was up to and what he was doing. And many of them partook in it. And, you know, we're seeing the flight logs and uh, now with the records that are, um, you know, all of the, the papers from Maxwell that are being, uh, that were subpoenaed by court order to be released uh, I think heading into the next month or so, we are going to see some major, major arrests um, of people that a lot of people, I think, have respect for right now, very powerful people, um, even as far to say that people that we admire or have for, for long periods of time. And so, you know, these are the type of what we would call rings um, where as you're saying, they are highly sophisticated um, and they're at a very different level than um, the street-level gangs. Right. So, for example, we mentioned Epstein. We can come back to that. But, you know, the other example is uh, is uh, the BBC presenter, Jimmy Savile, who was an absolute monster, uh, destroyed I don't know how many lives and was allowed to uh, operate uh, 
again, many people knew he seemed to be protected, uh, even perhaps by the network where he worked by certain individuals. We see this play out again and again mm-hmm. in the United States, for example, NBC and CBS, and they, they knew things and the stories were killed. Uh, Savile even perhaps protected by members of parliament. Mm-hmm. Is that is that going on? And I, I know this is a this is maybe speculative, but and we don't obviously need to name names or organizations. But do you sense that that there there is that level of protection in Canada at the highest levels in Parliament at television networks? Yes, I do. Um, I I think that the corruption. Um, that it, it, it's very strong, it's very deep. Um, yes, I do. Uh, USA and Canada. Right. You know, it, so, it begs the question why somebody is able to still be free. It begs the question as to who, who else is involved and what type of blackmail do they have on that person? Um, you know, to have charges literally dropped and disappeared or having stories buried or having um, the media so controlled um, as hopefully people know this by now. Um, I still find there's a lot of people that are not awake that we are programmed to only see what they want us to see. Um, You know, you've got five companies that run and own over 90% of the media in the United States, you know, like that's definitely not democracy. We are being told what to believe. And so when you have people like this in positions of power where, you know, you barely, barely hear about it in the media and it gets buried or it gets quickly debunked and it gets dismissed. Um, you know, you have to raise an eyebrows to saying, like, who's who's allowing that to happen? Who's capable of having that happen? Um, you know, I'll, I'll just even bring up one example more recently that we can all relate to is what's been dubbed as the Wayfair scandal. Um, you know, I'm not going to say one way or the other um, if if the Wayfair selling children or missing people on their site is legitimate if it's happening. But the reality is, is it basically was a a trending topic for like two days. And then all of a sudden, like it was completely radio silent. I want to pick up on Wayfair when we come back. uh, Excuse the interruption, Shay. We are uh, heading into a break, but uh, that's, that's a good example. It may be a case where the, the actual story was wrong, but the narrative is right. Uh, if it wasn't Wayfair, it's somewhere, someplace else. And not to not to suggest that the people who work at Wayfair were involved, but sometimes these companies are used by third parties. Uh, and again, apparently the story was debunked. That may be why it was dropped. But again, it may not be Wayfair. But you mentioned, you know, companies like Craigslist are used by third parties. Right. Uh, and and um, so again, the story might be wrong, but the narrative is right. So that doesn't mean we should just drop it. We need to uh, we need to delve further. But there doesn't seem to be 
uh, an ounce of intellectual curiosity in the mainstream media these days, and that's most distressing. All right, back with more of my conversation with Shay and Vidyata, human trafficking, more to come. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. When I talk about spiritual warfare on this program, this is what I'm talking about. Yes, we are dealing with, with flesh and bone here. We are talking about the exploitation of people. But what what could possibly motivate someone to engage in this kind of activity? What could possibly motivate someone to turn a blind eye or to cover it up or to run cover for someone or to simply dismiss it as in uh, the Wayfair case, the, uh, the furniture manufacturer. And if you, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, some, Often these are, I'm going to call them citizen journalists who, who first bring our attention to these things. And then the media, the mainstream media says, oh, that's silly. That, that didn't happen. Uh, it's like the Pizzagate uh, story. Perhaps, you know, this particular restaurant was not involved in a child sex ring. And so now every time something like this comes up, the mainstream media says, oh, that's another Pizzagate. No, it's going on. We may not have the right address, but it's happening. And so what, what, what possesses or, or what is causing this to me is is spiritual warfare. This this is evil exists. This is evil. Uh, Shay uh, Invidiata is with us. Free them. So the Wayfair case, uh, some citizen journalist noticed that I think it was on Reddit that uh, Wayfair was advertising certain products at exorbitant prices. So let's say it was an area rug that might cost normally $150. It was being advertised for $15,000. And some of these products were being given names, and they included screenshots from Wayfair. Uh, Some of these products were given names that coincidentally were the names of recently uh, missing children. That's that's the story in a nutshell. So then the question was, is Wayfair involved in child sex trafficking? Well, I mean, the, the idea here is that, you, you know, you're not going to pay Wayfair fifteen thousand dollars and they're not going to send you a child in a box. If you if you've ever ordered from Wayfair, these are sort of flat stacked. You have to assemble them like Ikea. They're not smuggling children in boxes, uh, but it is possible that Wayfair is dealing with third parties and these Third parties are using Wayfair as cover. So you pay Wayfair for $15,000. They send you the carpet. But then there is this side deal that's going on, this horrible, uh, uh, hellacious transaction that's taking place where you actually do receive services from an underage child. Uh, that's, my, that's my understanding of that Wayfair situation. Do I have that more or less correct, Shay? You do. I thought it was a really good explanation. <laughs> okay. So again, yeah. I, I believe it. It's, I've, I've read that it was debunked. I don't know to, to what extent that it's been thoroughly debunked, but I, I again, the mainstream media is very quick to dismiss these things. Uh, they and, are, again, and I think that, that in it of itself begs the question because 
without a formal and thorough investigation, how can you, in 48 hours, conclude that there is no illegal activity happening? So for me, the point is not even about Wayfair. It's how quickly and why so quickly the media said, oh, no, well, that's just, that's not happening. It's quote-unquote too far-fetched or you know, that's just ridiculous. And it's not ridiculous because people and children and women are sold online on multiple websites and platforms every single day. And the fact that the media debunked it so quickly has me personally more inclined to do more digging on Wayfair. Um, that that for me alone does not make me feel good. Um, the response even from Wayfair, um, all of their communications have have been pretty weak, in my opinion, um, in terms of what their response was. Um, so, you know, when you look at the kind of when we were asking me about the original question of of this is a prime example of how deep the corruption runs up the chain. And for our conversation today, you know, I just want to be clear that my position with Wayfair is not to say that they are in fact selling children. Um, I think that it's probable, but there has not been a thorough, um, there has not been a thorough investigation, but what was shown um, and the information that was that came to surface leads me to want to look further into it because there is a lot of very there's a lot of red flags, um, you know. But the point and the bigger point is who's shutting it down and and why are they doing that, um, and and what do they have to gain from that? And so when we look at the the power structure. Um, and where that's coming from, for me, it always begs the question that they might, they have to be involved somehow. They have to be contributing to what we call this problem of exploitation of children specifically, um, because they do not want this to be, to come out. They do not want this to be exposed. They do not want people like yourself and your audience listening tonight to become awake to the issue of human trafficking, but at, at the highest levels. It's one thing to keep it kind of, you know, no pun intended, on the street level. But once you start moving up into these higher positions, you really start rattling the chain. And this is what we're seeing happening right now, right? Like across social platforms, you have the, you have the world and so many civilians that are waking up and are calling out the exploiters. And um, we just did a recent campaign that was on exactly that, about exposing the exploiters. This is the time that it needs to happen. Um, and so, yeah, the corruption, the corruption is all the way up, and I believe that's why things like this get very quickly debunked um, and dismissed and buried. I have... Uh, I've interviewed... I've lost count of the number of uh, people who allegedly, I have to use that term, 
sure. uh, claimed that they were victims of, of mind control. Yeah. And uh, people like Kathy O'Brien, for those familiar with the transformation of America, who, who claim that in addition to being mind controlled, and that mind control, this, this goes back to the, uh, the Nazis. Uh, MKUltra has its roots in Nazi Germany, who their evil scientists discovered that you could control someone's mind by fracturing their psyche. And that could be done, it could be induced by massive trauma, often involving sexual trauma. And uh, so there are so many of these cases out there, and I'm not saying that they're all legit. Some sound very credible to me, as I've interviewed countless of them. But this idea, and they, they say again and again that there is, at the highest levels, an organized child sex ring where they are used uh, and abused by world leaders. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that ring true to you? Um, it. it- it does. I mean, I feel like we almost need a full other hour to just talk about that. <laughs> um, you know, um, but yes, it does. I I do believe that um, it's happening amongst world leaders and people in position of power that many people would like to just throw the word conspiracy at it. I think conspiracy makes um, it more comfortable for a lot of people to sleep at night. And I think that um, it also gives you permission to essentially look the other way. And um, it's uncomfortable when you, when you realize that the people who are, who are running the world, so to speak, or when you start breaking it down, people that you've elected as leaders um, in government um, that are partaking in abusing children and exploiting them. Um, it, it's sickening. Uh, it, it really, really is sickening. But I am a, a strong believer in in exactly what what, what you asked me. Um, I do believe that that is happening. That's, what you're saying is that that's a very powerful uh, statement that you're making because you are someone who has a great deal of credibility, obviously. You have a seat at the table. You are a stakeholder. You are consulted in these sorts of things. So for you to say that is very powerful. And let me just mention you, you conspiracy, the name of this program. I, I gave it this show that name because I'm here to take that word back. It's a legal term. Uh, and often it is used, obviously, in the pejorative to stifle discourse. Uh, but lest we forget, there are tens of thousands of criminal conspiracy charges laid in North America every year. It is a legal term. And so, and what we are talking about, the coercion, abduction, exploitation, murder, in some cases, of, of the most vulnerable in our society, that doesn't happen without criminal conspiracy. Right. Yeah. Uh, before I forget, if... Is there a uh, a, um, a human trafficking hotline in this country? I know that in the United States, I was reading, it's funded, and they receive something like 150 calls a day, yeah. uh, which may not sound like a lot, but imagine you know the courage it, re- it, it would require for someone who is a victim to actually call that number. So what, yeah. if there is a number, please give that out. Um, there is, and at any point in time, if you go to our Freedom website, 
Um, it is on the bottom of every single page on our website. But um, if you know somebody who is um, possibly in a position who needs help or you need help yourself, they can call our Canadian Human Trafficking Hotline. It's a, it's nationwide, and, of course, it's um, all confidential, um, and it's also multilingual as well. And it operates 24-7, 365 days a year. A year. Um, and that number is one 800 1-833-900-1010, and uh, yeah. we'll be repeating that uh, throughout the rest of the hour. Shay, stay put. We'll uh, take a quick time out and come back and uh, talk further about human trafficking. Back with more in a moment. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740. Or toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Some of you are familiar with the movie The Manchurian Candidate. Uh, it, was, it was based on a novel by Richard Condon that was first published in 1959. And, um, of course, was turned into a, uh, a movie starring Frank Sinatra and Angela Lansbury and so forth about this uh, prominent U.S. political family who's the son is is brainwashed into being a, an unwitting assassin for a communist conspiracy. The point I bring that up is Richard Condon, very famous quote. He said that if you know, imagine your worst nightmare as a scenario, and uh, he said it, it's it's probably true, and I think that's the case with uh, human trafficking. And when I say our worst nightmare, the idea that people that we respect, admire, even beloved individuals are likely involved, and that may be revealed very soon. Do you get that sense, Shay, that we are, uh, that this is, we're on the cusp, particularly with Jelaine Maxwell languishing in, uh, in um, a holding cell in Brooklyn, if she's allowed to live and testify, that this could finally be blown wide open? Yes, and I, I do believe we will see at least a certain amount um, that's going to come out from uh, from her, uh, if they keep her alive, um, I won't be surprised if she shows up in the headlines as uh, suicide, which, in my opinion, is a code word for being murdered. Um, we've seen that many times. I do not believe that Epstein took his own life. Um, and for people listening, you can go down your own rabbit hole of that and look up people um, who were on the brink of exposing people in high places for um, either sex trafficking, pedophilia, child exploitation, um, and things even much worse, and on the brink of that. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they committed suicide. So um, for me, that those dots don't work. They don't add up. And I think you're I suggesting think that, oh, Chris, Chris Cornell, uh, maybe one of the names out there that uh, a musician who was perhaps suicided because this was something that he was apparently looking into. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chris Cornell is a good one. Um, Isaac Cappy um, is another fantastic testimony. Um, there's extensive videos on his knowing he, he knew, he knew he was being 
um, hunted, if you will, that his days were numbered. Um, those would be two great spots, two people to go to go look at. Um, it's also rumored so, that Anthony Bourdain, uh, yep, Kitchen Confidential, yep. was also involved, as was his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, Anthony Bourdain, Avicii, um, you know, Justin Bieber is another very interesting one as well. Um, even though, of course, we know he's alive, um, but he's got very interesting testimony uh, for his experiences. Um, you know, there's there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of them, and I think over the next month um, and hopefully sooner, there's really going to be kind of that airing out of dirty laundry, um, if you will. And I think a lot of people are going to be very, very shocked. Um, it's going to be hard to digest personally, like, but it's, it's very, very deep. It's very evil. Um, and, um, they are going to do everything they can to keep this information, um, sealed and to not come out. So, um, which is why I'm surprised. Maxwell is still alive right now. So if you see something, say something. 1-833-900-1010. 1-833-900-1010. The Canadian Human Trafficking Hotline. It's nationwide. It's confidential, of course. It's multilingual. It operates 24-7, 365 days a year to connect victims and survivors of forced prostitution and forced labor with social services and or law enforcement in communities across Canada. I know it's volunteer, but there are costs associated with with this. How do people contribute to free them? Um, yeah, they can um, they can contribute on our just through our website. Um, we have a PayPal um, that you can give through. You can also do an e-transfer that's just give at freedom.ca. Um, you can do it the old fashioned way and write a check as well. Um, you know, we still <laughs> accept those. Uh, so those are the three main avenues. All right. We are going to take a, a, a quick time out and uh, come back and take some calls. And uh, let me give those numbers out as well. 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area. 416-360-0740 and toll free from just about anywhere. And the uh, the signal of this uh, program reaches from Maine to Minnesota, south to the Carolinas, one 866 740-4740. Toll free, 1-866-740-4740. Back with more. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Let's go right to the phones. Kevin is in North Bay. Good evening, Kevin. Welcome. Hello there, Richard. And hello, Shade. Good evening to you. Um, hello. I wanted, uh, yeah, um, I wanted to, to ask about what resources are there for boy victims of sex trafficking? Uh, I know from my research that 36% of children who are, who are sold into sex trafficking are boys. Yet, when I look for resources, uh, at least here in Ontario, for uh, male victims of sexual assault or male victims of child sex trafficking, there's little to none for ex- ex- exclusively for boys. Um, you know, being almost having become a victim myself when I was a teenager, you know, 
I finally found at least one resource that I could call, and that was only recently. So what is there out there for boys that are victims of this? Uh, it's a, a fantastic question, and um, I think you also raised a very good point that there are a lot more um, males that are victims uh, than most people would would realize. Um, and more and more, there there are resources that are becoming available, but they are still, I agree, they're still very um, scarce. Um in Toronto, uh, through like the Toronto website uh, with 311 underneath their human trafficking, uh, there is some information. I would I would say that going to Covenant House Toronto on their site is probably one of the best resources, um, not only for information but even to actually call in to be able to talk to somebody um, mm-hmm. if you or, um, you know, males are needing support, they would be one of my first go-to. Absolutely. All right, thank you for that, Kevin. Uh, The idea that young uh, boys are also being coerced into this or would suggest, because I'm guessing, you know, almost all of the the, the perpetrators are male, would suggest that there is a pedophilia aspect to this. Uh, And I just, I find it disturbing that lately we are seeing even in, with some mainstream news outlets, an attempt to normalize pedophilia. Uh-huh. Have you been tracking that as well, Shay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. I think that, um, you know, we kind of say lately, but it really has been there for quite a few years without many of us realizing it. Um, you know, CNN has done, um, you know, I would say a lot of harm in that, in where they are um, really questioning whether they're trying to normalize, like you said, um, around pedophiles, um, hiding behind uh, the gay movement and adopting the same slogan that love is love and that you know, um, that this is an orientation and at no point ever is a child able to consent to an adult ever. It doesn't matter if it's gender on gender, you know, a boy, girl, it does not matter. A child period full stop is never able to consent. And that is not love on love. That is rape. It's molesting. It's abuse. And, um, the media has, uh, even, if uh, people go to my, my Instagram, my personal one, which is just Shane Vidiata, I have a highlight that I put there that ha- it's called Pedo. And um, I did a whole video on this this week about Instagram and also Facebook um, really not protecting our children. And it's interesting that in this time where um, they are censoring anybody that speaks out against COVID or the narrative around vaccines, um, you know, anything that that people are speaking out against, that these accounts are getting shut down left, right, and center. Yet when you report a very obvious, not an ambiguous, a very obvious account that is a pedophile that is there to lure and groom children, if you report that account, Instagram has come back numerous times and they're on my highlight. You can go and see it that they won't remove the account because it does not violate their community standards, which 
so many people over this past week, especially after I posted this, were reporting them and sending me the photos that they got the same response. Um, so, you know, again, you have to question why. Why are these platforms, why is the media trying to normalize something that is so horrific that should just not be a conversation starter? We should not even have to have the conversation around if a child should be able to be raped and molested or taken advantage of by an adult. Period. Well, like, why are we having that post- conversation? <laughs> welcome to postmodernism uh, and moral ambiguity. Right. Uh, that's that's where we're at. Uh, I want to go to the uh, the YouTube live chat uh, for a question here. You betcha, a regular listener. Thank you. You betcha for all your support. He asks, "Is it wise to have a fully legalized sex industry so that?" It's a lot more easy to distinguish who is in it voluntarily and who is being trafficked. Interesting point. What do you think, Shay? So I'm going to say in theory, um, and and not just with the issue of prostitution, um, anytime that the government comes out with a theory on how to do something, it looks good on paper. Once it gets executed out, it never turns out the way that they say it is going to be. So when you look at the issue of of prostitution. I encourage um, people to go look at other countries where they took that approach, that they thought that if they were to legalize it, they'd be able to regulate it. They'd be able to, quote unquote, protect the girls. Um, You know, they would have these um, structures in place um, to do exactly like this person that just asked this question. And when you look at a place like Amsterdam, they have already successfully shut down one third of their red light districts because in the theory was not necessarily a bad one, although I don't agree with it. It, it. But when it got played out, it did not work. What they saw was an increase in organized crime. They saw the um, the average age of girls dropping um, of who are who are um, entering into the trade. And again, they saw other girls being brought in from other countries um, who are being exploited. The moment, like, when you have people who are willing right now to um, be in illegal crime, when you legalize that, they don't just become honest businessmen overnight, right? Like, that doesn't just happen because you legalize something. So it just forces now this industry to go even deeper. Um, and it, it just does not work. Um, and so I look at countries, you know, um, and cities like Amsterdam's a good one. Australia is another one where you will see an influx and an increase of human trafficking, organized crime, um, that, that takes place from that legalization. I want to give out the number one more time uh, for human trafficking. And again, if you see something, say something. And uh, this is a 24-hour multilingual service. If you are a victim, uh, pick up the phone call. They will uh, they will put you in touch with the right people to get you out of uh, your situation. 1-833-900-1010. 1-833-900-1010. And uh, the website, free them. Dot ca. Uh, Shay, uh, a, a great uh, honor speaking with you. I hope we can do this again. I know it's uh, it's keeping you up late, and you've got a you got a busy week. I'm I'm sure, but uh, I'd love to have you back on again. 
Thank you. I would love to keep the conversation going as well. So I'm happy to come back anytime. All right. Shay Invidiata, founder of the nonprofit organization Freedom and uh, dealing with this scourge, human trafficking, modern day slavery happening right under our nose. And uh, what do we do about it? We, we, we turn a, a blind eye by and large. Uh, all right. Uh, back next week, uh, working on Dr. Judy Mikovits. Uh, the mainstream media would, would, would call her a controversial virologist. Well, uh, when they say, ignore this person, this person's been discredited, that makes me want to speak to that person all the more. So that's what I'm going to try to do. And uh, again, in two weeks, we'll be discussing robotics and artificial intelligence. And uh, this is an important issue. Um, it's just not theoretical. The robot revolution is here. They're talking like something like 80 million workers in North America, 80 million workers will be displaced, replaced by a robot. And uh, this is, if you if you think this won't affect you, think again, even fashion designers, for example, will need to know about robotics. Uh, so get your children into coding and robotics. And um, the uh, one of the top robotics educators, Dennis Combites will be here uh, to talk about that in two weeks. All right, my thanks to Ryan White for live stream producing, Carlos Cagina for technical production. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.